went out with Floyd Mayweather yesterday in London. What did you do? I don't know. What are you talking about? I didn't go. I was at home. Are you trying to bait me up or what? Broke my back. What do you mean by that? You broke back. Back is broken. What for? A, a vertebrae or, or what uh, portion? Spinal. I said, I said, Jamal said great fighter. He's fighting 135. <laughs> no, he said he'll beat my what? He'll beat my what? He's a great fighter. He fight 130. I think he'll beat Lemachico. Ooh, I came at the perfect time. At the perfect goddamn time. At the perfect goddamn time. So, you already know. I'm just trying to figure out what you're You're starting to say all these big words. I'm starting to take it as disrespect. So today we have the curious case of Josh Warrington and it we've been here before if you remember I did the episode when he signed for Matchroom and my suggestion at the time was that they'd bury his career because he was a non-priority asset for them and I gave all the reasons and if you want to grab that episode just go through the archives you'll see it. So we come to where we are today. Now, you've got to think about who Josh Warrington is. Josh Warrington's a 30-year-old man, probably at the peak of his powers. He's probably got two or three more years in boxing tops, right? And one of those years will be him selling his name for a big payoff to someone or other, which is fair enough. We don't mind that. But what's he, 30 and 0? He's got a CV that includes all of his British peers, Frampton. He's got Lee Selby on there. And he's also got Kid Galahad on there. So from a British perspective, you can't question his record. I think what's lacking, as we've, you know, we all know for certain, is that international name. Those two or three marquee names, maybe American, maybe Mexican, that tell us that he was deservedly number one in the world. But what we have to say is Josh Warrington's a British success story. So for a second, park your anti-leads feeling... Park your, your reservations about his style and whether he's entertaining and whether he knocks enough people. Just park that for a second. Hold on, just park that. A 30-year-old Brit who's 30-0 and has cleaned up some of the best names that we have in this country. Guys that we all respect, Frampton, Galahad, and Selby. This is a guy we should be getting behind. He's three or four fights away from having that kind of Carl Froch-type CV. Because if you look at his record, go down. Even the stuff we'd call filler... Even the stuff we'd call developmental. There were no gimmies. Like guys like Rendell Monroe weren't gimmies. Guys like Joel Bronco weren't gimmies. Guys like Kiko Martinez were not gimmies. I'm not saying that they were elite level fights, but they definitely weren't gimmies. So Josh has come up the hard way because remember, people expected him to lose. Now he's in this really interesting position where the whole thing seems to have flipped over. And now he's becoming an asset to protect. And so that can be a gift. But it can also be a curse for a fighter because when you're on the other side of the fence, they put you in with any and everyone expecting you to get beat. So you were active and you made a good living. And then when you become the cash cow and the asset, they keep you in cotton wool for a bit. They keep you chill. They keep you nice and they say, hold on. We're going to save you for the big paydays. We're going to save you for Ellen Road. We're going to save you for pay-per-view, Josh. That's where we see your future. Now that works if the slots are there. And we're going to come on to that later. But we need to just focus in on February the 13th and 
how we're going to get to February 13th because a lot of things seem to have changed. So if we roll back and we remember Eddie announcing the 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 Q1 in a little bit lineup, right? And some of it was decent. I think the March 20th card with Lawrence Ocone is a hell of a card, by the way. And I'm surprised Hearn can't deliver that on a more consistent basis. If he wants to take over the sport, that's what he has to do. That's what fans expect. A card that's deep with talent where everything is intriguing. We want to know. You know, every fight's got a question that needs answering. And the fact that he fails to do that consistently tells you that maybe he's not the man we think he is in terms of boxing. But also, I think the reverse can be true. Or we can look at it from another angle and say, Okoli as a headline fight might be a tough watch. Not because we don't like Lawrence and not because we don't want Lawrence to win. But Lawrence is boxing for a world title. So I expect him to box with the aim of winning. I'm not expecting a knockout if it comes fantastic. But we know what Lawrence is like when he's in, you know, attack and contain mode. And so that doesn't necessarily bring the most entertaining of fights against a smaller guy. So I guess to defend against that, you stack the undercard to make sure that if people complain, they say, well, look at all the fights I gave you. So I can understand where that comes from. But I'd rather we got a good main event and a good undercard. Maybe we just can't have our cake and eat it in this case. But let's just roll back. When the Warrington fight was announced, this was him as IBF champion, and we expected this to be a, a voluntary defense before unification. And, you know, Hearn often says unifications trump everything else, right? Seemingly just for Joshua. I think that's where we're at right now. When it comes to Joshua, everything can be moved out the way. When it comes to Warrington, less so. So he goes in and he says, right, you're going to fight this guy, Mauricio Lara. Don't even know who he is. And at the time, we were like, well, this guy can't even be ranked for it to count as a voluntary defense. And mysteriously, he appears ranked number 10. Mm. And I've talked about the IBF on numerous episodes in the past. And they have a sketchy record. So number one, they definitely stick to their rules. So mandatories do get enforced. That's one thing we love about the IBF. The other thing is you can take certain people for dinner um, pass him a little envelope or do a favor for them and your guy will suddenly reappear in the rankings or he'll appear for the first time. Because Mauricio Lara essentially is the fourth best Mexican. Where are all the other guys in the rankings? Do you see what I mean? He's definitely no Navarrete. He absolutely is not Navarrete. But we understand it. If you can't get a British guy to jump in, if you can't get a Ryan Walsh, if you can't get a Jazza Dickens, fine. Okay? We will watch this. So now we're expecting the big fight to follow. We're like, okay, cool. This is just a stepping stone to something bigger. But let's go back to what we've talked about before. Where we talk about the middle management dilemma. So guys like Callum Smith, Liam Smith, Callum Johnson, and I want to put Josh Warrington in this box. These are guys that you can put on a card with a sold out arena because they're local heroes. You know, the city comes out to support. So the economics of having them on a show makes perfect sense, right? Because you've got the TV money coming in and that may cover the production and some of the undercard. And then you've got the arena money, which is a bit of drink for your promoter and the boxes get paid, right? Makes perfect sense. Take the crowds away. These guys don't have a value add proposition. There's actually no point in putting them on. They become expensive. So Hearn has this dilemma, which says, I can't really put Liam Smith on 
because the most likely fight I'd be able to make for him is like a Kell Brook or a Liam Williams. You know, I know there's politics behind that, but those are fights that need an audience. You know, you're not going to pay pay per view for that. Liam Williams is not a Liam Williams is not a pay per view guy. Knows Liam Smith. I'd argue that only in an exceptional fight would Callum Johnson be a pay per view guy. But after Canelo, he probably isn't. And then Callum Johnson, we know isn't. And then that leaves Josh Warrington. Is Josh Warrington pay per view? It's never been tested. And he's too expensive to put on the undercard of a pay per view to see what he does for the viewership. He's too expensive now. And, you know, Josh, as I've said, 30 years old, 30 and 0, with a legit CV at the moment, he doesn't come cheap. So he's in that position of, what do I do with him? So here you go. You put him in a fight. It's probably not that lucrative for him, but it keeps him active. It's a stepping stone, and you get to burn up some of that sky budget. Maybe a bit of zone money, not sure. And if it does go on zone, then at least it brings him to a whole new audience. Right? And he can start making noise for the Americans through that channel. So that's the first problem. He's in that position. Where he's kind of like, I've got to do something with him. But I can't do what he wants me to do. Because it's not economically sensible. So you've got this Lara fight. And you've got, you know, what's to come next. But the problem was the IBF had said, quite rightly, Kid Galahad is your mandatory. You've got to fight him after you fight Lara. We're not moving him aside so you can have a unification. Now, there's all number of reasons why Josh Warrington's not going to fight Kid Galahad. Number one, he doesn't want to put a penny in his pocket. Number two, the two just do not like each other. And that dislike is real. That's not made up, it's real. And thirdly, and most importantly, that fight was terrible. Kid Galahad's too small, too light-fisted to put a dent in Josh Warrington, who's the bigger and stronger guy and more active. I think in the first fight, he threw about 50 more punches anyway. So if you're Josh Warrington, you're like, why am I going to do this? The money's not going to be worth it, number one. Number two, I'm not going to enjoy that fight because I like fighting people who come to fight. Kid Galahad doesn't. He comes to contain and spoil. That's not what you want to do when you're the top guy in your division. You want to entertain because the more you entertain, the more money you make down the line. And Josh understands this. He's got good boxing people around him in Sean O'Hagan, Nick Manners and so forth. So he knows, he understands what this game is about. It's about putting on a show for your fans. That's when they part with their money and come to Ellen Road. So faced with that, he takes the gamble and it is a gamble. Rest assured, this is a gamble to vacate a belt you fought hard for. You fought really hard for that belt and now you're going to give it up for Kid Galahad to win against maybe someone like a Jazza Dickens, depending on whether promoter politics prevails. But it's a big risk because it then says, Josh Warrington, welcome to the Who Needs Him Club. Without the 30,000 at Ellen Road, without the first direct arena in Leeds, without that leverage, who really needs Josh Warrington? No one. It's a hard night's work for anyone if the money's not right. So now if you're Eddie Hearn, you're saying, I might have to make you the opponent somewhere. I might have to send you to America to fight you know, Gary Russell Jr. I might have to send you to Mexico to fight Navarrete or we'll put it on a Bob Arum show. It might be on the Fury Joshua undercard. 
we're we're now taking away that leverage where you could say you're the A side, you're the home guy. Now you've just got to go, you've got to get in where you fit in. And that's a big risk because does Gary Russell really need that? No, Gary's looking at that going, well, I'm in America. I'm okay for now. I could fight Isaac Dogbo over here. To be honest, Josh Warrington could fight Isaac Dogbo over here. But no promoter dare mention his name, which I think is disgusting. And I think it's a shame that boxing fans in this country don't challenge Eddie and Frank as to why Isaac never gets mentioned. Never gets mentioned. Isaac Dogbo, raised in the British boxing system, went through the British amateur system until they tried to job him and say he wasn't good enough for GB. So he boxed for Ghana in the Olympics. And after that, no promoter would touch him. Gone on to win a world title, hold that world title, and lost it unfortunately to Navarrete, who I think would do a lot of damage to a lot of people. But no one calls Dogbo's name out. It's a shame. And as boxing fans, like I said, we pick and choose our battles. Now, you may say, I don't know Isaac that well as a personality. They've parked that to the side. Here's a guy who on Boxwick has a British flag. And you're not banging the drum for him to be getting stuck in with Galahad, Warrington, Jazza Dickens. Let him get his money in this country. And so, when you look at all of this, Josh Warrington's in that unbelievably risky position of he might get swerved by everybody. He might suddenly realise Hearn's not willing to commit that much investment into his career without Ellen Road backing it. And he might end up having to fight guys like Jazza Dickens and Ryan Walsh and Lee Wood and all these other people they can pick up who are relatively cheap to fight. Or standard what Eddie Hearn will do is go, well, why don't you just move up? Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll tout you around all the 130 guys. And after they all say no, I'll put you in with Tevin Farmer. Where's the money in that? But this is... This is the game that gets played. And Warrington's taking this gamble. I don't think he'd have this problem with Frank because between Frank and Bob, they'd have definitely got him like a Navarrete fight or an Isaac Dogbo fight. There was definitely a fight for him. But obviously, Josh made this decision before COVID hit and the boxing reality has changed significantly. But I feel for Josh Warrington because like I said, he's three or four decent fights away from having that CV you can't question but he's also with a promoter who doesn't care about legacy and only cares about profit and loss so what do you do when you are steeped in boxing knowledge and understanding and you have to remember who Josh Warrington was before he turned pro so Josh as an amateur is a class of 2009 is probably the the highest achieving guy from that kind of ABA class of 2009. He didn't even win the ABAs. He lost to Tom Stalker, if I remember correctly. But of that, of that group, and when you list the names, you realize how far he's come relative to his peers. So you've got Tom Stalker, you've got Liam Cameron, you've got Scotty Cardle. I don't remember who else was. That was Dudley O'Shaughnessy if Liam Cameron was there. Uh, who else was floating around at that time? No, no, Declan Fusco wasn't there back then. We're looking at people who, I'm trying to think, Ronnie Heffron might, might have been around back then. Mark might have been as well. But you're looking at those sorts of guys who were super talented, but none crossed over like Josh did. And Josh wasn't expected to. Let's remember this. He wasn't expected to. 
Even guys who were high regarded like Blaine Eunice, they were expected to do better than Josh at this time. Yet here's Josh, a faultless CV, a guy who hasn't ducked a fight, who's called out everybody that he has to call out. And they fear his style, they fear his work rate, they fear his chin. And fair play to him. I, I'm late to the Warrington party, but I'm glad that I'm here. I like how he conducts himself. He readily admits he's a humble guy. He's not a social media guy. That's not his generation. And he's never really mastered it, so he doesn't try to. He does his talking in the ring. You know, and that's what matters. What you do in the real world translates over. And so we can only hope that he gets his opportunities because we want to see how far he can go. You know, and we should be encouraging our British guys to build their legacy. And I know there'll be people now going, but you always slate Joshua. And I say, well, Joshua doesn't have the Josh Warrington energy, which is make the fights happen. If I've got to take a little less money, I'll take a little less money. But God, make the fights happen. Because legacy is important. Your legacy determines your income. However anyone tries to tell you. And like I keep saying, things like the Joshua Project are proof that it's legacy over everything. Because that's what boxing fans like to reward. Legacy. Because yes, I'm paying for the fight today. But I'm also paying for the memories I carry with me. That I can tell my kids about. And my grandkids about. And if you can't deliver that, what am I paying for today? So as we move into February and the inevitable Warrington versus Lara fight, we've got to ask, what are Team Warrington thinking? I can only kind of transpose my judgment. And I'd say you're looking at two out of the top five guys at 126. So maybe Gary Russell and one other. And that might be Navarrete. Um, I don't think it'll be anyone British, unfortunately. So you almost try and think, who else would you want to have in there? If if I could give counsel, honestly, for Josh, if you want entertaining fights and fights that are competitive, I'd probably go Isaac Dogbo as one of them, and I'd go Gary Russell as the other. And I think both would get you the recognition in America. And with Isaac, that'd give you another British name to tick off. So... Amongst British fans, bang, you're, you're right in the middle of that discussion of one of the great greatest Brit fighters of all time. And then you move up. You only need two of those. And then I'd like to see him move up. And then it becomes, is he brave enough to take on a guy like Burchell? Would Warrington's high-pressure style negate the Burchell power? Because he's not an amazingly skillful guy, but he is a hell of a banger. And then you look at one other, maybe Oscar Valdez. Someone like an Oscar Valdez, yeah. And then I can also see a Shakur Stevenson. And that gives you four fights where you can say, look, you can't question this record. If he won all of those fights, then you're saying, wow, this guy genuinely retired on top. No holes in his CV, no questions to answer. Fair play to him. Would he be talking in terms of a Lomachenko fight at that point to sign off? Maybe, but then what Loma have we got left? We don't know yet. Time will tell. But I just think Josh is just in this really weird space of it's like coming back to a relationship, isn't it? You broke up with someone, you've come back. The problem with coming back is you never come back on the terms you left on. It's always a downgrade on terms. So you're now coming in at lesser terms than you left. Because if I'm Eddie, I'm like, you went over to Frank, but you came back for that money. So 
you are listening to me a lot more. When I had you the first time, I was bending over backwards for you, but now you are bending over front ways for me. But I am seriously looking forward to seeing what, what Josh can do with the final two or three years of his career. I just like to see him have career-defining fights. I don't think COVID has helped, but COVID shouldn't be a barrier for this man fulfilling his potential. I think we should all get behind Josh, if I'm being honest with you. So I was going to stop on Josh Warrington, but you know the world of boxing moves so fast that there's other stuff that's come up, so I thought I'd just carry on anyway. So I've seen that Shannon Courtney's no longer fighting on the Josh Warrington undercard. The tune-up is now off the table, and instead she's going to go straight into Rachel Ball for that WBA title shot. Now, I, I need to, to speak carefully here because I don't want to offend anybody. That shouldn't be a world title shot. You've got Shannon Courtney, who, to all intents and purposes, is still a work in progress. We're still not sure how good she is. And you're going to put her in with Rachel Ball, who, if we're being brutally honest, is a part-time boxer. And you've got these two contesting a WBA title. And, and it's clever chicanery by Eddie Hearn. It's really smart by him because he can say, Sky, I've delivered another world title fight to your platform. Much like his motivation behind asking Josh to vacate the title would be, I can say Kid Galahad's a world champion. That's another world champion that I have created. You know, don't underestimate how selfish promoters can be sometimes. But with Shannon Courtney, look, they were going to put her in on February 13th. And then you start to look at the list of available opponents and you go, well, who was she going to go in with? Because there's no one really in Britain that she can go in with at 118 pounds. So do you move her up so she can come back down? No, I think it's hard enough for Shannon Courtney to make 118 pounds, if I'm being honest with you. I think that's probably the biggest barrier at the moment. Because based on her physique, Shannon Courtney should be boxing at either super bantam or feather. That's the truth. She should be boxing around 122 to 126. But can you imagine her at 126 against Ellie Scottney? It, it wouldn't end well. And I don't mean that to be malicious. It's just how boxing works. Those heavier shots take more of a toll. So you put it in with a Rachel Ball and there's less coming back. But the problem is Rachel Ball has now won the first fight. And she derailed the momentum. And so the problem you then have when you move forward, when you look at this, when you break it down and you say, for a world championship, Rachel Ball can afford to be conservative. Yeah? If her team have any smarts about them, they're just drilling her to, to nullify the Shannon Courtney head movement by just punching the chest, punching the shoulders, punching the collarbone. Don't bother with the head for the first half of the fight. Just keep punching and moving. You know, imagine Lyndon Arthur in the first half of the yard fight. That's it. Just put that jab in her chest, move back, create some more distance. Then throw the one-two. Just keep hitting that body, bruising that body, knuckle on breastbone, knuckle on collarbone, knuckle it right in that deltoid. You know I mean, start smashing the rotator cuff a bit. Win the first half of the fight and then have that pressure because after that, like we saw in the first fight, Shannon Courtney will have to come to fight and she leaves herself vulnerable. So I can see this being another Rachel Ball win, but I can also see it not being another Rachel Ball win because she's had other commitments. 
but either way, I, like I said, this isn't a world championship fight. I, I'd be loath to call this a Commonwealth level fight because there are a lot of tough ladies in Tanzania, in Kenya, in Nigeria. I mean, probably in Canada and Australia too. There's Ebony Bridges who would happily step in the gap. So actually, the Commonwealth title fight would be harder than the world title fight. Think about that. That's really messed up. But it's where we're at right now because we can't fly people in right now. What are we now? Third week in January? You fly someone in and they've got quarantine for 10 days. Where are they going to train? It's very difficult to, to establish how you train in those situations. And I know they'll say, well, we'll have a bubble, so if they test negative, but you still got to quarantine. Before you can get to the bubble, you've got to quarantine. Those are the rules. So how long do you have to train, prep, and get ready before you're straight into fight week? There's not enough time. So you're looking at British opponents and there aren't any. Because of Brexit, you can't just fly someone in from the EU either, like you used to be able to. No air corridors. So, so all these problems meant that the fight didn't make sense. But the other reason the fight didn't make sense was there's a real risk of defeat. That's how vulnerable this career is right now. The Rachel Ball fight is for a world title because they know Shannon Courtney has a chance with Rachel Ball. And they cannot guarantee she would have a chance against anyone they flew over from Mexico. Or anyone they flew over from Africa. I imagine Helen Joseph, if she could make 118 pounds, would have an absolute field day with, with Shannon Courtney. And I don't knock Shannon Courtney at all, because Shannon Courtney's out to do what's best for her. And for all the people who criticize Shannon Courtney, you have to remember, this is a young lady who dealt with disappointment at Finchley and dealt with disappointment at Islington. And it never dimmed her desire to be a professional. It never dimmed her desire to be a world champion and to be recognized that she worked hard on everything while holding down a job as a chef. So I will always respect the Shannon Courtney grind. But boxing's not a sport that rewards the good story. It rewards the ability to beat the best. And I don't think she's fighting the best to win a world championship. But she's hustling. And if that's her grift for 2021, then you got to let her have her grift. My view, this is just where we are with women's boxing. The weight classes are not deep enough for us to be praising world championship wins. They're just not deep enough. And the promoters aren't doing enough to deepen them. And they're not doing enough to make the top people fight each other more often. Now, is that a promoter problem? Is it a manager problem? Is it a boxer problem? No one comes out and tells fans the truth. And that's what frustrates us. But when that fight happens, I think it's April 10th. Is it a legitimate world title fight? Nah, it's not. It's just another sanctioning fee for the WBA. So something really interesting has happened this week. Dillian's added to his training team. So he's added a guy called Harold Knight. Um, they call him the Shadow. And he's now co-trainer with Xavier Miller for the upcoming fight with Alexander Povetkin. And this is, I guess, the high watermark of things I've been saying for a long time. So, what everyone's seemingly doing at the moment, I think Fury's probably triggered this, is they're trying to tap into this spirit of the cronk. So, anyone who was associated with Emmanuel Stewart is now getting gigs. You know, Jonathan Banks, I mean, I think he's with Golovkin, Sugar Hills with Fury. 
and now Harold Knight is with Dillian, having previously been Emmanuel Stewart's assistant for Lennox Lewis. Now, listen, you either get Emmanuel Stewart or you don't get Emmanuel Stewart. There's no Emmanuel Stewart light. There's no 90% Emmanuel Stewart. There's no, well, he knows what Emmanuel knows. No, there's none of that. The thing about training a fighter is the individual who does that training, the individual that brings that magic, takes it with him when he goes. You may learn what he does. You'll never learn how he does it. You'll never learn that spiritual connection between his thoughts, feelings, and actions. So there'll never be another Bill Miller. There'll never be another Emmanuel Stewart. There'll never be another Eddie Futch. Nor should there be. This is why these men are great. They're one-offs. But what you're able to do is take what they have and assimilate it and create something new, different, and hopefully elevate the sport. The fact that people keep going back for that cronk spirit tells you that not much has moved on in boxing. Now, there's some other practical issues that always worry me. When there are two voices in a fighter's ear, all you end up with is confusion. So now look at Xavier Miller. Xavier Miller's been with Dillian for what? Over a year now? Maybe even longer. Now he's got to take a back seat. But he's like, I was just getting into my groove. And remember, all trainers are ambitious and they believe they are the man. That's how you get the best out of yourself. So all of a sudden be told that you're now one of the men, I don't think is a good feeling. Does it encourage competition? I don't know. Sometimes I find it interesting when I look at Joshua's camp. I look at the body language between Angel Fernandez and Joby Clayton. Joby always seems to have this aloof, dismissive demeanor when he's around Angel. And I don't know why. I'm not close enough to the camp to know who does what and who's, who's who. What I do know is that's what happens when you get people in the camp who believe that they're driving the value. They're driving the vision. It, they butt into each other. Now, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. Generally, I'm a, I'm a fan of consistency. I believe you pick one damn good trainer and you ride, the, you ride the wave with them. And there'll come a point when they can't teach you anything else. And then by that point, you're hopefully mature enough that you just need tweaks here and there. You just need a new energy. You don't need to learn anything. I always worry about boxers who talk about they're still learning at 30-something because your body's not able to develop and your brain's not able to develop. So what exactly is it that you're learning at 30-something? Probably nothing. And actually, if we go back to conversations, I say this is one of the reasons Shane McGuigan was able to do so much with a lot of fighters because he wasn't teaching them anything new. He just stripped out the things that weren't helping them. He, he helped boxers stay out of their own way. Did it with David, did it with George, did it with Carl. He helped boxers stay out of their own way. And then their natural ability was able to come through with fewer and fewer errors. So some trainers get it right. But what I'm saying is you can't buy the spirit of the cronk because Emmanuel Stewart is no longer there. The, the custodian of that has gone. And with it, the cronk is gone. Rest in peace, Emmanuel Stewart. But all of this stuff you hear about Fury talking about, now that I'm with Sugar Hill, I'm doing things differently. No, he's not. Tyson Fury's been an elite boxer for God knows how long. He's just changed his tactics. And yep, I'll give Sugar Hill credit for that, for saying, actually, why don't we just go on the attack? You're bigger, you're stronger, go on the attack. But that sounds obvious when you say it, right? 
That sounds really obvious. If you just pause for a second, what, think, about, think about what I just said. Why don't you just go on the attack? That sounds really simple until you have to do it. That's the magic of a trainer. He can say that and he can show you how. And you can see that work and you become a believer. Not anyone can do that. Emmanuel Stewart could do it. Eddie Futch could do it. Bill Miller could do it. Gil Clancy could do it. Bowie Fisher could do it. Nazim Richardson could do it. Not many can. In this country, Jimmy Tibbs could do it. It's a rare skill. You don't just buy it by, you know, recruiting the best mate or the assistant of the guy that had it. It doesn't rub off like that. But I'll be interested to see how it goes because I, boxing needs a successful Dillian White. Now, Dillian to lose twice in a row is devastating for boxing as far as I'm concerned. I, I genuinely want Dillian to win against Povetkin because we don't need a 42-year-old guy romping and stomping through the heavyweight division. We really don't need that. So hopefully Dillian can put Povetkin to pasture. I'm not one of these guys that dislikes Dillian and wants to see him lose. I genuinely want to see Dillian come back, win, and have meaningful fights because what he's shown is he's got the appetite to do it. And that's what we want to see. But my point was, I guess, when it comes to trying to tap into this Kronk thing, that Kronk thing's done. These guys are either good trainers in their own right or they're not. And the results at the moment are sketchy. And it, it comes back to everything I keep saying about trainers. There's a handful of people who can make fighters really, really good. Everyone else is just getting to live out their dream and their hobby. Now, a lot of people disagree with me and they think they can be a world champion wherever they go and they're stupid. They're absolutely stupid. If you genuinely think you can be in gym X and you'll be a world champion, even though there's no record of a world champion having come out of that gym, you're stupid. You don't go and play for Bolton Wanderers and go, we can win the Champions League. You just don't do that. That's why you say, if I want to win the Champions League, I've got to be with Bayern, Barca, Real, Man United, Liverpool, I don't know, Juventus, right? There's certain clubs I have to be with to win the Champions League because they have a record of doing it. They're hardwired for that level of success. Now, if you're listening to this and you're a boxer, look at what you're around. How much of that is world level? Because if it's not world level, you're going to get found out as many have got found out in this lockdown, not just in this country, but in the States, people have now realized that what they have in their camp is substandard for what they're trying to achieve is substandard. I pray that Dillian doesn't find out that what he's got in his camp is substandard. I want those guys to be good because I want Dillian to win. Boxing needs someone like Dillian to win and it needs him to be a credible threat because we're getting to the point now where once Fury Joshua happens, I don't know if it happens this year, if I'm being honest with you. I don't see how it can happen this year. And I'm going to just segue into that real quick. They're talking about, what, May or June time at the moment? Oh, God, let me get my train of thought back. Just got disrupted by a phone call. 
Let's break down Fury Joshua. It happens May, June time in Saudi Arabia, let's say. Same place as the Ruiz 2 fight, whatever. Although that stadium no longer exists, right? Because they pulled it down as soon as the event was done. We don't know where that is right now. But let's just say they can just conjure up another one. I'm supposed to believe that there's enough promotional time and enough promotional muscle and energy to go from Canelo Yildirim in February through to Eddie's Manic March, his March Madness, as we'll call it, for American listeners, into April 10th, right? Bear in mind there's going to be a pay-per-view in there as well, which is going to need some, some energy behind it. And then I'm supposed to believe he goes straight from April 10th into the first week of May, Cinco de Mayo weekend, where Canelo will then have to fight again, which will require Eddie Hearn to put his back into that. And then you're telling me that there's enough promotional time, energy and muscle to do the promo for Joshua Fury that leads into June, July. And we all know that July is generally a dead time for boxing anyway. It doesn't make sense at this point, does it? So now let, let's, let's now be optimistic and go, okay, so maybe they do it for October. So by that point, Fury wouldn't have boxed for about 18 or 20 months. So at some point, Tyson Fury has to fight someone. That's why I don't believe this fight happens because he's getting rustier. Like he needs a fight between his last one with Wilder and now. He needs a fight somewhere, right? And that has to happen this year. And so there you go. You drift into that problem. So now we're looking at the tail end of this year. But there's a WBO mandatory that's going to come. There's an IBF mandatory that's going to come early next year, which you won't be able to get out of. And it could be Charles Martin. It could be Deontay Wilder. We don't know. There's still the legal issue around what, what do you do with Deontay Wilder's legal claim? So they say all these things like Joshua and Fury have agreed terms. And I believe that for one second, but it's not about them anymore. It's about can all the pieces fit? I don't know. I, it just doesn't feel like the fight can happen this year. And it definitely doesn't feel like the fight can happen this year in the current climate. Like until everyone's vaccinated, until the borders open, until... There's free movement. Like, you think Saudi Arabia wants 20,000 Brits coming in with God knows what version of COVID? I don't think so. So who's going to watch this? What, just all Saudis? That's the occasion that these guys are built up for? Two British guys fighting in a stadium in the Middle East and it's just Saudis? Really? None of it makes sense. I wish boxing fans would understand this. None of it makes sense. Until the borders ease up, until everything eases up, I don't see this working. And that's why I've been cynical about the fight happening. Now, I may be proved wrong. And when I am, I'll hold my hands up and say, God, I was wrong about that. But I think two things definitely have to happen. One, Wilder has to be dealt with one way or the other. Number two, Fury's going to need a tune-up fight in the interim to get his sharpness back. He's going to need one. doesn't have to be a hard fight. He needs a fight regardless. Even if it's someone like a, like a Hellenius, doesn't matter. He needs a fight like that. And then someone's got to deal with Usyk. Because he can enforce his right. Like, there'll be all sorts of court cases that would derail this. But this two, the two main elements for me are Wilder 
and Fury's inactivity. If you solve those, I can see a path to the fight. Without those, I don't see a path to this fight. That's why I'm not getting excited. That's why I'm not believing the nonsense. You can agree whatever commercials you want. There are two practical impediments to the fight happening anytime soon. And there we have it, guys. I think I probably touched on a few issues I wanted to touch on. Um, boxing's been quite flat recently, so there hasn't been much to talk about. So I've just jumped on you know, Porky's Corner with Big Russ. By all means, listen to that. You know, I know some people think Russ is Marmite. You either love him or you hate him. But his voice is valid and he needs to be heard because the things that Russ says are said by people in the sport. Many fighters, promoters, whatever, they're of the same view. So when you hear him ranting, you may disagree with the delivery, but the message is true. And it mostly comes from within the sport. So take time out, Porky's Corner on YouTube, have a listen. The audio is a lot better than it used to be. And I think Russ is kind of finding his groove now. So yeah, jump on that. And I'm sure I'll be on there at some point next week. And him and I will just go back and forth as we always do. Guys, have a fantastic weekend. Uh, stay safe. The lockdown's there for a reason. We all want to get out of this so we can have a summer together, man. We all miss that that warm day, cold beer, chemistry, and all that sort of stuff. So have a fantastic weekend. Stay close to your loved ones. Do something this weekend that makes you smile. And take care.